Once again, I'd like to welcome all of you on this second Sunday of Advent. So good to see all of you, as well as those of you joining us online. I'd also like to thank Eric Marshall with Young Oceans, our guest worship leader from Nashville, originally based out of New York City. And we have a special guest pastor with us. Uh, Dr. Jim Singleton has been a longtime friend of Highland Park Presbyterian Church. He was a senior pastor most recently at First Presbyterian in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and been a seminary professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He is a professor currently with our denomination, ECO. He has been a mentor to so many of our young leaders and pastors. I think I first met Jim, if you recall, about 25 years ago in Spokane, Washington, and that's where Jim and his wife Sarah reside. And there's a little factoid about Jim. I've, I've been told that he is uh, a baseball historian. Everything about baseball. And that's why we created a little a baseball baptismal experience just for you today so you could experience that. Join me in welcoming Dr. Jim Singleton. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, brother. That was so good. Thank you. Mm-mm-mm. That was kind of fun, I thought. <clears throat> well, it's a joy to be preaching to you all today in this special place in my life. Been here many times through the years, um, lots of connections. But I know on the second Sunday of Advent, I'm here as a pinch hitter for really a rather sad reason. And I share your sadness. I was here for the memorial service, sat right over there, and just wept. Just wept. And so I joined my voice to the other pinch hitters that have been here lately, John Ortberg and Rich Conwisher and Scott Dudley and others, in our collective grief over the stunning death of our friend Brian and over the loss for all of you. I just can't quite imagine. But... Remember, we are not those who grieve as if we have no hope, but rather we have great hope in Jesus, and it's Jesus that I'm going to be preaching about this morning, and that is exactly what Brian would want, that Jesus would be lifted up. Now, I'm going to read to you from what is known as the prologue to John's gospel. These verses are unlike any of the other gospels. Uh, there is no nativity scene here. So if you're waiting for one of those, there's going to be no Mary, no Joseph, no innkeeper, no shepherds, no sheep, no camels. It's not in John's gospel. John does it a very different way. Instead, we find in John's gospel something like a prelude for a symphony where all of the themes that are going to come up later in the symphony are all concentrated right here. So you're going to hear about light and life and witness and identity and truth and grace. They're all going to be right here. It's thick with meaning. It's dense. We cannot work on all of it today. One of my great preacher mentors once preached 15 sermons just on the verses I'm about to read. I'm going to do it in one, and we're just going to get about three things done. So let me tell you what we're going to get done. We're going to talk about the identity of Jesus. We're going to talk about your identity in Jesus. And we're going to talk about how you gain 
that identity. Listen to God's word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, would you now take your word and speak it into our lives in such a way that we might actually see you. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Have you ever failed to recognize somebody that you really should have, could have recognized? Was well, 17 years ago, I was, I, I was in... I was just coming after a college football game to what was going to be an after-game pizza party where we were going to celebrate, but my team lost the national championship game, so hardly anybody came. So I was standing there with cold pizza in my hand. There was a big guy next to me. A friend of mine said, hey, this is Toby Covell. You want to meet him? And so I went up and started talking to him. He had on cowboy boots that were kind of scuffed. He had on a cowboy hat that was kind of dirty. He was bigger than me. And I said, like all males do when we start off, well, what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I, I sing a little bit and play guitar. And I went, okay, uh, do you play by yourself or with a band? He said, oh, I got a backup band. Hmm. I said, well, what kind of places do you play? Now, I'm picturing Abilene, uh, you know, honky-tonks. I just had all this in my mind. He said, well, my next gig is going to be at the Houston Rodeo. You know, normally big time. And then my friend interrupted and said, Jim, you know you were talking to Kobe Pete, Keith, right? 
I said, no, he told me his name was Toby Covell. No, he, that's, his, that's his real name, but his stage name is Toby Keith. You might want to just stop right now. <laughs> and then to fully enter into the hall of shame, I said, and who is Toby Keith? I just didn't see it. Now, I know he's big time. I mean, he's in truck commercials and everything. And I went out and got a, back then you got CD, so I got a CD of his, I said, oh, I've heard a couple of these songs. But you see, I failed to recognize him. But you know, that's not nearly as critical as if you failed to recognize Jesus Christ. Our scripture today, in fact, the whole Gospel of John is wanting to make sure that you see Jesus and believe. Everything from beginning to end is all directed there. All of the I am statements in John's gospel are only there so that you know who I am. It's really, really important that you understand the possibility that if we understand who Jesus is, we can actually become a child of God. So who is Jesus? John's wanting to tell you Jesus is fully God and fully human. Can you say that just so you, I know you've got it once. He is fully God and fully human. That's going to be the point of this passage. The passage begins with this phrase, the word. In Greek, that's the word logos, like logic was in the beginning and was with God, and then this big verse, and was God. The word is a descriptive phrase because Jesus didn't get the name Jesus until he was born. So he's trying to describe who the second person of the Trinity was by using this interesting word, word. But that describes that with the Holy Spirit, there is one God in three expressions. But the text then goes on to say what no other world religion says, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We call this the incarnation. Now, incarnation is not a biblical word. It's a theological word. But it has that word carne right in the middle. If you know Spanish, you know that carne, chili con carne, means you got meat with the chili, right? So this is the statement that Jesus has come in the flesh, in a body. The incarnation is the fact of God becoming human. The method is through what we call the virgin birth. He had to be born of a woman to save us. He had to be one of us. And he had to be born of the Holy Spirit to have the power to effectively save us. Fully God. Fully human. In the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, born as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is fully God, fully human, but that's been complicated for people to figure out. You can't be fully, fully. You have to be half and half, or you have to be 60-40 or 80-20. So what was he? 80-20, God and 20 human? No, fully God, fully human. Can't do it. 
So we've had a number of little heresies that have grown up through the years. One of them was named docetism, and docetism said that he was really, he seemed to be human, but he really wasn't. He was just sort of faking it in a costume, masquerading around. It's a little bit like Clark Kent. I mean, you know, Clark Kent looked like a human, right? But he wasn't a human. He was Superman. I mean, that was something big, but he wasn't from here. He just faked it. Now, we've always had a little trouble embracing the full humanity of Christ, even when you sing later this month, Away in a Manger. You got to watch out for the second verse. Because in the second verse, it comes with these words, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, do you know how to fill in the rest of the words? No. Now that's trying to say that little baby Jesus didn't cry. He wouldn't be fully human if he didn't cry. In fact, he weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. He weeps over Jerusalem. He sweats drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He really wrestled with that decision, my will or God's will. He felt all the temptations we felt acutely in the wilderness. He was really human and really fully divine. But he was so human that he identified with the very struggles you and I have. Now, on the other hand, modern liberal theology, which has come through many phases and forms, would rather Jesus was fully human. They're a little shaky on the divine side of things. They kind of think he was a very enlightened human like Gandhi or Mother Teresa. Really, really good. But see, that would make Jesus not powerful enough to save us. One of my mentors, Dale Bruner, once said, wherever the loss of conviction of the full deity of Christ occurs, the church and the world lose their center and meaning. So the Nicene Creed is the thing that hammered this out. And it was a long time ago, and we only say it every now and then as Presbyterians. There was a lot of fighting going on around that, Athanasius, Arius. There were emperors that got involved in this major battle race, but they came up with a statement that has to do with who is Jesus. And I've got it on a slide, so why don't we just say it together like you did the Apostles' Creed. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one substance with the Father. Now, it sounds a little dry in 2023 when we say this at points. This was a vivid, wild, strong decision of the church. Fully God, fully human. Got to have them both. It's powerful. But that then leads to the potential of our identity. So I want to go all the way down to our identity, child of God, because he says, for those who received that fully God, fully man, he's offered the right to be a child of God. Technically, when you are born, you're a creation of God. Not a child. Oh, and this is my son and my redheaded granddaughter. Not that we're baptizing them today, but that's who's there. But up to your conversion, you were a creation of God. When you come to Christ, you have a new identity. 
You're a child of God. In baptism, you heard Emily say it, which we say over every Presbyterian child baptized. We would say, J. Lee, child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father. That covenant is the relationship these believing parents have with the Lord. And we're fully expectant that when the confirmation comes around for these children, they're going to stand up and say, I believe the faith that they've been borrowing from their parents is going to one day be owned as theirs. To make hard what was soft is what confirmation means. Child of God. You know, you just need to look at your neighbor so they can hear this from somebody else. And just, if they're a believer, you need to turn to them and say, you're a child of God. Would you tell them that they need you? And if they're not yet, you're not sure, you might be is what you can say. You might be. Child of God. Child of God. Oh. George MacDonald, who was a mentor to C.S. Lewis, wrote these words. This is and has been the Father's work from the beginning to bring us into the home of his heart. This is our destiny. Child of God. The book of Romans, the book of Galatians uses this word adoption to describe the process of us becoming God's children. We're adopted by these loving parents who now suddenly have made us a child forever. In Greco-Roman world, an adopted son could never be disowned or disinherited. The adopted child was given all the rights of the biological family. That's who you are, child of God. And that's why Paul writes to the Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or the husband's will, but born of God. Do you get it? Child of God. Do you own that? I was a pastor for about 30 years, and the question I ask most often in my office is, how do you think God feels about you? And do you know what 30 years of Presbyterians have told me more than any other word? How does God feel about you? The word is disappointed. I think he's disappointed that I haven't turned out better than I've turned out. Now that might be what a hu uh, an earthly father or mother would feel. That is not what God feels about you. You're a delight. You're the beloved. And when you step into this relationship as a child of God, he knows your fallacies. He knows your weaknesses. But you've got to live with this identity. I'm a child of God. J.I. Packer wrote these words late in his life. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Are you a disappointment to God? Are you the child of God in which he delights? 
This is designed to become your primary identity, child of God. But for many of us, I know it's just a little sliver of your Sunday morning identity because that's the way we've let it be. And you let your primary identity be on things like your family identity. Am I a father, a mother, a child? A, am I, do I have my vocational identity? Am I a banker, a dentist? Or my geographic identity? I'm a Texan, I'm a Coloradan, I'm a Californian. Where is your primary identity? Is it political? Is it athletic? Anything other than the child of God is not big enough to hold you through the ups and the downs of life. You've got one primary identity, child of God. But the last part of this sermon is, so how do you get there? Because what John is talking about in this passage is the difference in rejection and reception He's actually saying you can receive this gift with great joy. He's also giving you the full right to say, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. And the text was saying a lot of people didn't know him. His own people, he came to them and they didn't receive him. They rejected. They didn't embrace him. But to those who did, he gave you the right to become the child of God and to live in light instead of darkness, to live with life instead of death, to live in truth except in deception and falsehood, to live to serve the world instead of being curved in on yourself. The great Dick Halverson, who was once chaplain to the Senate, used to say, give all that you know of yourself to all that you know of Christ. Both of those are going to grow over your lifetime. You give more of your identity and more of your identity to Christ. But you first open your hands to receive Jesus, to come into that heart that George MacDonald was talking about, so that you actually come into God's own heart. Have you done that? Or have you been sitting, waiting, watching, not sure, might not, are you ready to jump in the middle? I'll tell you how it worked in my life. It was 51 years ago, 1972. I was in Dallas. I had an aunt who lived near the Cotton Bowl. We had to pass by it every day. It was the month of June. There was this thing going on in the Cotton Bowl called Explo 72. All kinds of young people from the Jesus Revolution were there. They filled that stadium. Every day I drove by it, we'd stop at a red light and somebody would knock on the window of the car and hand us something about Jesus. Now, I was a church kid. My dad was a pastor. I had gone through confirmation class. I understood and believed the Apostles' Creed. But I had no living relationship with Jesus. And I'm reading this and I'm looking at these people in the Cotton Bowl. It's not cold in June in in Dallas, it was a hot bunch of days, and I don't know why anybody would want to sit in the Cotton Bowl all day long and go to church. Billy Graham was there. Bill Bright was there. 
it was kind of the first Christian Woodstock, if you will. This was the first time we had Christian bands all in one place, and they weren't that good, but it was, I mean, Andre Crouch was there, but, and they produced the, the first Christian album was not by Maranatha, it was by Explo 72, and I was puzzled. I didn't have anywhere to put this in my experience. Three weeks later, I'm back at my home church, and somebody from that event came and spoke about what Jesus did at that event. And I go, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And then August of that summer, I went to a place named Montreat, North Carolina, for a youth conference. The moderator of that youth conference was a man named, have you heard of him, Clayton Bell. He hadn't even gotten here yet. He was still from Rome, Georgia at that point in his life. The MC for all the events who was talking about Jesus was a guy named Jimmy Bankhead. Has anybody ever heard of Jimmy Bankhead? Uh-huh. And the Bible study leader every morning was John Tolson. And they're talking about Jesus as if he's really alive. And I'm going, I'm just a church kid. What are you talking about? And then in my small group, there were four people so alive in Jesus who had something I figured out I didn't have. And I said, how do I get where you are? And they said, open your heart and receive Jesus, and you will become a child of God. Now, I was still a child of the covenant, but I stepped into being a child of God. And you know, my life has never been the same. It just turned upside down. The old was passing away and the new was coming. Has that happened to you? Or are you sitting somewhere like my friend, the cow, that's on this next slide? You see, this cow is kind of not in and it's not out. He's just sort of stuck in the middle. And I'm wondering if there might be somebody here today that's ready to get your legs over to the other side of the fence by saying yes to Jesus. I want to receive you right now, second Sunday of Advent. I need to come into this light. And if you're ready, in the quietness of your heart, just open your hands and say, Lord, come in. I want to receive you. Let's pray. Lord, you're moving in so many ways among us. But we need you. And we don't want to miss our your identity or ours. And so would you draw each one of us to yourself. And for those of us who have lived long and loved you and made mistakes, would you just tell us again that we are your beloved child. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.